Morning, ECC. My name is Will Barkley. I'm one of the pastors here at ECC. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. If you have a Bible, please take it out and turn to 2 Peter 1. We're going to be reading 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21. And as you're turning there in your Bibles, I'm going to go ahead and tell you a story. Last summer, I took my two sons, Pierce and Asher, and we went up to a state park from where I'm from in north, the northwest part of Washington in the USA. And we went to this park, and in that park there's this cave, it's called Gardner Cave. And it's this naturally forming cave, and you can take tours to go through it. And so I took my sons, and we went to the cave, we signed up for the tour, the tour guide came, there's about 20 of us, and then the tour guide took us into the cave. And so what we did is we walked up to this gated area, they opened the gate, and we start walking down these metal stairs, and you go down about 10 meters, and you're inside this cave. It's massive, it's huge. And there's all these amazing rock formations, uh, there's little animals that are, are, are scurrying about, and uh, they have lights professionally installed, electricity running through the cave, so you're walking along these metal paths, and you're seeing all the natural rock formations, you're seeing water dripping, forming stalactites, stalactites you know, the spiky things and, uh, that come up from the ground as well. It was a really great experience. Uh, it was just amazing to see uh, just this amazing rock formation. And so we went down, uh, walking 45 minutes into this cave. And as we went down farther and farther, we realized, one, it got a lot colder. Even though it was a summer day, the weather, it was, I think, inside the cave, the temperature was three, four degrees, and uh, so it was getting pretty cold, and we get all the way down to the very bottom of the tour, the very end, 45 minutes in. So at this point, we are 100 meters into the ground, and we're 600 meters into the cave itself, and of course, I'm thinking, okay, we're done. We've got to turn around and head back. There's no more platform, even though the cave keeps on going, and the tour guide said, there's one more thing I want to show you. And then she reached over on this metal like lever and she flipped it. And all of a sudden, all the lights went out in the cave. And it was pitch black. Total darkness. I couldn't even see the hand in front of my face. Right? And I instinctively I just grabbed my two boys. I'm like, I gotta keep them close to me because I can't see anything. I mean, you literally cannot see anything. Right? Totally disoriented. You feel totally helpless. Imagine if you're trying to climb your way out of that cave at that moment. Couldn't see anything. Then all of a sudden, the tour guide turned on her flashlight. Right? It was just this little flashlight. But that light penetrated the darkness. All of a sudden, I could see where she was. I could see the light reflecting off the wall, so I could see where I was. And I could see the way out. Of course, I saw my two boys with me. But that light helped orient me to where I was. Friends, darkness is terrifying. It's terrifying. Being disoriented, not knowing where you are, what, where, up is, where up is down or down is up, what, which way is what. You're, being, you're completely helpless in that moment. And thank God for the light of that small flashlight, right? That light just shining well, after about 10 minutes, the guy turned around. They turned on the lights, actually, and we turned around. We walked out, 
And that fear of the darkness went away. But here's the thing, brothers and sisters. The word of God is a piercing light shining in a dark place. The world is darkness. God's word is light. Without God's word, we are left disoriented, blind, helpless, and vulnerable. We can't even rightly see ourselves. But praise be to God, the Father, that he has given us a sure and steady light. One that blazes brightly, piercing the darkness. So my aim this morning is to strengthen your trust in the word of God and to reignite your passion and zeal for it. And to remember how, four things, how sufficient it is for your life, how clear it is for your life, how authoritative it is for your life, and how necessary it is for your life. So my hope and aspiration for you, ECC, in this new year is that the Word of God would blaze all the more brightly in your lives, and that you would grow in your dependence and your love for it. With that, let's turn to 2 Peter 1, 16-21. 2 Peter 1, 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father in heaven, this morning, we pray that you would show us again how sufficient clear, authoritative, and necessary your word is for us. Father, help us to see that you have provided all that we need to know you, to know how to live this life in obedience to you, a life of godliness. Thank you that you have revealed Jesus to us, that he is the true light. God, I pray that you'd help us to understand and to show in our own hearts, shine the light in our own hearts, revealing the ways that we have failed to believe these things. Encourage us, Lord, and from your word. Teach us, we pray, and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So in verse 19, Peter tells us that we must pay attention to the word of God. And this morning, we're going to see three reasons why we must pay attention to God. First, we must pay attention to God's word because it is trustworthy and true. Trustworthy and true. Second, we must pay attention to God's word because it is sufficient and necessary. Sufficient and necessary. And third, we must pay attention to God's word because it is clear and authoritative. Clear and authoritative. So first, let's look at how it is trustworthy and true. In our passage this morning, Peter reminds his audience 
that the gospel he has been preaching, this revelation from Jesus Christ as, as the Son of God, his power and his coming, it did not come from a myth. A myth, as you know, is a story. It's a, it's a fake story. It has no basis in fact. It's just a legend. And it seems in Peter's day, just a, a few years after Jesus' ministry on earth, many people doubted the truth of the gospel. They didn't really believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And really, the central focus of Peter's letter is to refute the claims of these false teachers and to warn those who would listen to them. I would encourage you, if you have time today, to read the rest of 2 Peter. It's a very short book. But in it, you'll see this central theme of warning Christians not to listen to false teachers and instead listen to the Word of God. It appears that some of these false teachers, their claims um, on the account of Jesus' life and teachings, they believed it was just merely made-up stories, right? After all, these are bold claims by Jesus, right? Jesus, God's Son, came down to earth, took on human flesh. He walked about the earth, performing miracles. He died, crucified on the cross to bear the weight of the sins of the whole world. And three days later, he was raised to new life. He ascended into heaven, and he is reigning at the right hand of God the Father. And now Peter and the apostles have been sent out to boldly proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Some people, that's just too much. They can't believe that. What we hold dear as believers, as those following Jesus, others find absolute nonsense. Peter's answer to these critics is that Jesus is not some made-up person. Peter says that he saw Jesus receive glory and majesty from heaven. The end of verse 16 says that we were witnesses of his majesty. Who are the we in this passage? Well, the gospel records that it was Peter, James, and John, three of Jesus' closest disciples, who went with Jesus on a high mountain. Matthew 17, 2 records, Jesus was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white, as light. This is the majestic glory they saw when they looked at Jesus. And not only that, the passage records that the voice of God himself, the majestic glory, spoke from heaven, saying in verse 17, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And Peter adds in verse 18, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. So Peter, James, and John witnessed Jesus Christ transformed by divine power. He took on majesty and glory. And in Matthew 17, it says that Moses and Elijah were even with him. This is significant because Moses was the author of the Pentateuch, the first statesman who formed the nation of Israel, leading them out uh, to the promised land, out of slavery to the promised land. And Elijah was considered the greatest Old Testament prophet. So both of these men are there with Jesus on the mountain as if to affirm, no, Jesus is far greater and far better. He's more significant than anyone else in, in Israel's past. It is God himself who has come. But then they hear the voice of God from heaven. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And they are undone. They fall down in fear, trembling at what they have just heard. At first, they were eyewitnesses of Jesus' majesty and glory at his transfiguration, but now they have become ear witnesses of God's divine declaration. 
Jesus is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. If there is anyone questioning Peter with questions like, where did you get this from? Peter, how is it that you came to understand this about Jesus? This should be a sufficient answer. Peter should say, and he does say, I saw it with my own eyes. They were present. The disciples were present and they beheld these things with their own eyes. I know what you're thinking. Pastor, if I too could go up on the mountain and see Jesus transfigured, I too would believe. I too would have my faith strengthened like it should. Or if only I had heard the voice of God speaking from heaven, I would never doubt again. I would be the most vocal evangelist for God. I would be so sure of everything that I've heard about God. Man, I would be 100% Christian at that point. Maybe you'd feel like you'd be assured of your faith, of your beliefs, that you would have the most solid foundation you could have. And really, who wouldn't want to be on the mountain to see Jesus transfigured? I would have loved to have been there. Wouldn't, wouldn't that have been amazing? Wouldn't it have been awesome to be both an eyewitness and an ear witness to see Jesus, right? To hear the voice from heaven. But here's the thing, friends. You and I can never go there. We'll never be able to go to the mountain and see Jesus transfigured. We'll never be able to hear the audible voice of God saying, this is my beloved son. We can't go back in time to hear those things. Friends, don't you realize that it is 99.99% of all those who have ever believed and followed Jesus, those people have never seen him face to face. They've never heard the audible voice of God. So what is it that you and I have? Peter says that what we have is something even better. What could be better than seeing Jesus face to face? Well, the Bible in your hand. More than seeing Jesus in person, more than hearing the very voice of God from heaven, you and I have the prophetic word. We have the word of God. Verse 19 says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention. This prophetic word refers to the written scripture, not just random prophecies or verbal prophecies given today, but to the word of God written. So what does it mean that this word is being more fully confirmed? I think that Peter is rightly establishing the facts of Jesus' transfiguration, that he both saw it and he heard it. And he's bringing all the weight of authority of someone who has witnessed those things. But then he urges his audience to pay attention to the prophetic word. The whole of Scripture was also bears witness about Jesus. The Bible in your hand right now is a recounting of God himself, how he's revealed himself, how everything culminates in one person, Jesus. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. Peter is not counting on you and I to trust Peter's word alone or suggesting that everyone has to hear the audible voice of God in order to be sure of Jesus' work. 
Instead, Peter is instructing us to take up and read, to listen to, to study, to memorize, to pay attention to the very voice of God here in our Bibles. Instead of looking to experiences, to feelings, to dreams, we must instead run to the written word of God. For this is where the Lord has spoken to you and I. How do we know that this book, Bible, is not merely a long, clever myth constructed over years by a bunch of guys? Verse 20 through 21 says, Knowing this, first of all, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Nothing, not one ounce of Scripture, was produced by the will of man. Instead, they were carried along. They were led by the Holy Spirit to speak only what God wanted them to speak, to write only what God wanted them to write. This is our doctrine of biblical inspiration. For 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God which is where we get the term inspired. It was the very breath of God, the Holy Spirit, that worked in the authors of Scripture so that every word of Scripture is the word of God. So first we have seen that we must pay attention to God's word because it is trustworthy and true. It's God's word. Now we're going to turn and look to see how God's word is also sufficient and necessary. Friends, I hope you see that the Bible that you have with you is not some inferior, untrustworthy, incomplete account of God's plan for redemption. God did not accidentally leave you with a Bible when he meant to give you more. No, God provided all that you need when he gave you the full revelation of the word of God. Just a few verses earlier, Peter says in verse 3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us into His own glory and excellence. Did you hear that, church? He has granted to us all things. Scripture is fully sufficient to instruct us on who God is and how to live before Him. Our God meant for you and I to find out about who He is to hear the gospel from the word of God. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, no, no, my mom, she would talk to me at night, and she just told me about Jesus. She didn't actually read the Bible to me. Friends, I'm here to tell you, that's, that's evangelizing, right? That's preaching and teaching. And praise God for those people in our lives that did speak to us the word of God. But everything they did, if they said true things about Jesus, they had to base it on the foundation of Nothing other than the Word of God. In fact, there is nowhere else where one can hear the good news of Jesus. There is no other place where God has revealed to us His plans. That's one of the things that's unique about Christianity. There are no secrets to the Christian faith, right? There's no back room with other sacred texts that only a few people get to see. You don't need to go through rituals. You don't need to spend years meditating. You don't need to go on pilgrimages. You don't need to pay crazy amounts of money to know all the truth there is to know about God. He gives it to us freely as a gift. Now, you may need to pay the publisher to actually buy the book, but otherwise, it's free and available. It's on the internet. In fact, if you would like a, if you would like a Bible, if you request one from us, we'll give you one. 
Friends, the Bible is all you need. But you do need the Bible. It is necessary to know the Word of God in order to know how to live this life of godliness. To know that it is only by faith, by grace alone, that God saves sinners. By the way, if you're here with us today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I want you to know that the Bible, the central message of the Bible is Jesus came, the Son of God came, died on the cross to pay the penalty for sin and to ransom sinners. What does that mean? It means that Jesus came to die to give you life. If you're here and you're not yet a believer in Him and you would like to know more about what it means to follow Jesus, please come talk to me. Come talk to any one of the pastors, any member that you see here. I'd love to be available after the service and tell you more about what it means to follow this Jesus. What does it mean to believe in Him, to trust in Him? So we've seen God's Word is both trustworthy and true. We've seen that it's sufficient and necessary. Finally, Peter gives us one more reason to trust God's Word. God's Word is also, also clear and authoritative. It is clear and authoritative. Since it is God who has spoken, revealing these things to us, His Word is both clear and authoritative. Verse 19 again says this prophetic word is more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention. Scripture is not unclear to you and I. It is written in, 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 sorry, in an intelligible human language, grammar, and syntax. In other words, God meant to communicate to you and me. And what God means to do, He is able to do. He meant to communicate to human beings, and so He has through human language. His word is clear to us. That's why he instructs us to pay attention to it. His word also bears authority. So when I tell my son Asher, come here, he's pretty good at obeying most of the time. Uh, he is six years old, and I am his dad, so it's kind of expect kids to obey, right? I have some authority in his life. But what if my son said to me, Hey, come here. That's not how I say that to my son, by the way. But if he said that to me, uh, some of you, you know, you twitched a little bit, right? That, ooh, that's not supposed to happen. Little kids aren't supposed to say to their parents, you know, and boss them around, give them commands. It's a big no-no. After all, I'm his father. He's my six-year-old son. He has no authority to tell me to come to him, right? Okay. Friends, there is no more authoritative word in all existence, in all the universe, than the word of God, our Father. He has all authority. He is God himself. So tell me, please, at what point you and I are allowed to disobey our Heavenly Father, who is all-wise, all-good, all-knowing, all-powerful. At no point, right? The Bible is the very place that God has issued his commands. He says, repent and believe in Jesus. In Matthew 17, God says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And then he adds in Matthew 17, listen to him. So to treat Jesus as anything other than the son of God is to disobey God. 
To not listen to, to not heed, to not obey Jesus' instructions is to disobey our Heavenly Father. And this is why we are instructed again in verse 19 that we will do well to pay attention to this prophetic word. This phrase means that we are to occupy ourselves or devote ourselves to the word. So, church, take stock in your own heart right now. What do you believe about God's word right now? What aspect of the truth of God's word have you forgotten? Have you minimized, marginalized, whether in practice or belief? Perhaps you came in this morning and you said, you know, I believe all the orthodox positions on the word of God, but in practice, you fail to see God's word as sufficient, clear, necessary, and authoritative. Let me ask you about the other media in your life, books you're reading, videos you're watching, things you're consuming. What does that say about your belief in the Bible? Whether it's the kind of things or the amount to which you listen to those things. The reality is we are given the precious word of God that we are to devote devote ourselves to. And to be honest, I think we devote ourselves to things that we should not be wasting our time on. None of us always believes what we should about God's word. That is why God's word instructs us as believers to gather every Lord's day, to hear the word of God preached again, to celebrate ordinances like baptism, communion, as a regular practice of what is commanded in Scripture. The Bible calls the gathering of the saints, the church, to be one body together. Literally, we are to be members to one another. And it is the word of God that we are says that we are to encourage, exhort, and teach each other. And that's why we sing these, these songs, right? These hymns, psalms, spiritual songs. We want the word of, of Christ to dwell richly in us. That's why we should talk about it together. You go to lunch and out water, you should talk about the sermon. Talk about what you're reading in Scripture. We should discuss this with our kids as we raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We should encourage one another, continue reading this truth. We should also be humble with one another and confess that we have not prized God's word as we should. None of us do. Friends, it's true that the world is hostile to the word of God. Out there, it is complete darkness. We are not yet fully in the kingdom of Uh, of heaven, heaven, where the true light that is Christ shines as our reigning, ruling, conquering king. The time has not yet come where Satan is fully vanquished. He's still a roaring lion. He's prowling about trying to devour people. And one of his most effective means of doing this is to attack your trust in the word of God. This is what Satan did in the garden. Sowing doubt in Eve's mind with the question, did God really say? And when there is doubt in the trustworthiness of the word of God, then Satan is so bold as to claim to know why God really commanded Eve not to eat of the fruit and suggests that God is withholding something good from her. This is what false teachers do, right? 
sow a little bit of doubt, promise a deeper truth, a better truth, a more tantalizing truth. Anyone with a computer can make the snazzy video on YouTube calling all their viewers to question what God said. And for every helpful biblical teaching or sermon online, there are hundreds of evil, distorting, damning videos. Ask yourself, is there unhealthy, unhelpful media, whether it's YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, whatever it is, these influencers in your life that you have become devoted to, that you are paying attention to? Maybe it's time that you declared attention bankruptcy, right? You delete all the apps from your phone, from your computer, you hit the unsubscribe button, and you just lay waste to those things. False teachers are beguiling because it can seem like wisdom, like deeper truth. You may think that you can quietly entertain false teaching, but really, do you have the discernment to know? Let me ask you, are you seeking for some special experience to reveal truth to you? Are you hoping for some feeling, some sensation or idea rather than just trusting the Bible, the Word of God that God's given you? Friends, false teachers, imagine being back in the 600 meters into a dark cave and no light. False teachers promise to take you back up to the surface, back where there's light, but instead false teachers grab you by the hand and take you deeper into the cave, deeper into darkness. So friends, let me encourage you, God has given you the light of his word. It is sure more fully confirmed for us than any eyewitness account. We have the full, completed revelation of Christ with us. You have in your hands all that you need to know to know God, to know Jesus and His work, and to live your life in Him. The only trick is you have to know what the Bible says. You have to read it. And not just read it, but you have to devote yourself to growing in your understanding of it to memorize it, to hide it in your heart. And as we know from James, you actually have to do it. Let us not be just hearers of the word, but doers also. And some of you are struggling with things in the Bible or things that you're hearing in the world. Do you know that God, through his word, has appointed elders, pastors, whose main job is to teach you the Bible? That we're appointed to this congregation to do that work. I think there's times where some of you feel like, I don't want to go to Pastor Aubrey or the elders or the pastors. They're really smart people, and I don't want to be ashamed by asking this really low question. I should know this answer. Friends, let me just encourage you. If you ever feel like, uh, my question's too simple, and he's just going to laugh at me, please just banish that from your minds. It is a 100% joy when any of us shepherds get to help our body by teaching them the Bible. There is no question too simple, no question too lowly. We all need to be taught, right? And as pastors, as elders, we ourselves are just sheep that still need to be shepherded. I told the story in the first service. Last, my last place I was pastoring, I was with my brother who's the main preaching pastor, and I was in the car and we were talking through a specific passage. And I was like, you know, I don't, I have a question about this passage. And I was talking to him about it, and all of a sudden he's like, 
brother, you just preached on that like two, two months ago. I had totally forgotten that I had preached on this particular passage. My point there is we forget. We need to constantly be renewed in our minds. We constantly need to be instructed and taught and discipled, myself included. So I'd like to close this morning reading from this passage from Psalm 19. If you've been following along in the Bible reading plan, this Thursday you're going to run into Psalm 19 in its entirety. So let me encourage you on that day, open your Bible, pray, asking the Lord to open the eyes of your heart, and then read this psalm slowly. It is my prayer that the Lord would stir your delight in his word. So let me read Psalm 19, 7 through 10. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Friends, I pray that God would open your eyes, that he would awaken in you the desire to see, to taste the word of God, and to treasure it. That's my prayer for you this year as you dive into the word of God together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, there is no better word than your word. There is no other truth than your truth. All that we desire, all that we need, all that we long for, we find in your scripture. There's no other Savior than Jesus Christ. There is no other light than the light of Jesus. And yet we run to other things. Forgive us, Lord. Remind us again how beautiful your word is. How good it is to the taste. How sufficient it is. How clear it is. How authoritative it is. And how necessary it is for us. We just thank you, Lord. We praise you. Thank you for your word that is our treasure. I pray that we would encourage one another as the body of Christ. As we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs as we speak of what we've read. I pray that we would encourage one another in all humility and with love. Father, I pray these things and ask all these things in Jesus' name.